We'll be in Mark chapter 5 today. So we're going through the gospel. How it's kind of working is we've been going through the gospels uh, on Sundays and then going through the book of Isaiah, Old Testament, basically on Wednesdays. If you hadn't been coming for Wednesdays, man, I, I hope you come. It's hard sometimes, I know, to get here on Wednesday, especially school and everything else. And it's busy, but we spend a lot of time uh, really just hanging out and enjoying each other's company. Uh, but the great thing about balancing everything is on Wednesdays, um, give me a little bit, well, I missed my volume, guy. just a little bit more volume. Um, on Wednesdays, we, uh, thank you, on, on Wednesdays, by balancing it out, New Testament, Old Testament, it's kind of nice, especially with Isaiah. Isaiah is like the most quoted uh, prophet of the Old Testament. Um, and so, it's, it's uh, kind of nice to balance out New Testament, Old Testament, especially when one is constantly prophesying about Jesus to come, and then we learn about Jesus. Uh, today, uh, we're going to begin in Mark chapter 5, verse 21. If you got your digital Bible, turn it on. If you got your papal Bible, open it up. Uh, either way, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, it is opening weekend of deer season. I thought I'd start out uh, telling you a story uh, uh, from hunting that really has something to do kind of uh, generically about what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about interruptions today. Um, so uh, a, a few years back, um, uh, I want to say about 2000, like 13 or 14 maybe, um, I, I, Pastor Robert Montgomery, who I had, had done ministry with for a couple of years, we had become very close friends, uh, I, extremely close friends. We still talk to each other, if not weekly, biweekly, uh, all the time, all the time. And uh, just recently came back from the leadership uh, uh, conference that I go to on a yearly basis. And, of course, who's sitting with us, you know, is Robert. And who goes to eat with us, it's Robert. And me and him have, over the years, just uh, a bond together. Anytime I think you go through anything together, tough or adversity-wise, you know, it tends to kind of draw you together. And so Robert and I have a bond. And uh, Robert, at this time, was already at another location uh, preaching at a church, pastoring a church. I was still here at the time doing youth ministry, but I happened to manage a little piece of property uh, uh, just outside of town, about 40 acres, where we did a lot of deer hunting and taking people deer hunting. And, um, you know... A lot of planning went into getting him down here. He's going to be down here for this certain amount of time. We're going to be able to spend time with each other because we don't see each other very much, right? And so I'm looking forward to this. I kind of like set aside some time, blocked it out just for him, right? I mean, this is, this is going to be great. Me and him hang out together like good old days kind of thing, and it'd feel really good. And then all of a sudden I get a phone call, and it's my friend Jason Cullison. Some of you have heard Jason preaching here. Jason, youth pastors over at First Baptist Kingsland. And when I first met Jason, if you didn't know, it was just a few years before, and he had never done youth ministry a day in his life. They were asking him to do youth ministry, much like I kind of did with Michael, you know, and, and just kind of launched him in there. And, and so uh, what I had done over those few years is kind of mentor Jason up and helped him along the way, kind of discover who he is and what he kind of, uh, uh, you know, help him hit his identity and learn how to pastor on his own kind of thing uh, and just help him along the way. Well, Pastor Jason calls me and he goes, hey, man, I've had a tough day. And I, I would really, um, man, I need somebody to talk to. And I'm thinking, I'm just going to be honest. Like, I'm thinking, I planned out to hunt with Robert. <laughs> I have these days set aside to just be with him because I don't get to see him. Jason, I can see all the time. But Robert doesn't live here. He lives four hours away. He's driving in all this way to hang out and hunt. I mean... Come on, it's just one time, you know, and, and I'm like, well, 
okay. I mean, in ministry, what we've learned, there's going to be interruptions in ministry. It's just how it is, and we're going to talk more about that. But I just want to show you, like, it wasn't convenient, okay? This coming at a time where I'd really set aside to do something else and a very personal time. And I don't know about you, if you hadn't figured this part out yet, but time is the most precious thing you can give somebody. It isn't your money, all right? It's your time, all right? There's nothing that can replace your time that we get to see you here. Right? I'll tell you right now, keep your tithe to yourself and bring your body to church. I, I, I'm, I'm one of those that will tell you that, okay? Because I'd rather have you than your money. All right? That's more important. Why? Because your friendship is worth more than you can put in that offering bucket. All right? What, family's never about that kind of thing. And it does, it mean, you know what? One of the coolest things is that it does mean that there are times where it's going to be, uh, <clears throat> however you want to say it, it's going to be awkward, it's going to be whatever it is, but I'm going to tell you something, man, family is family. There's going to be rough patches and good patches, but family is family, right? So here I am, I'm in this conundrum, I'm in this thing, and I was like, you know, I am going to, uh, I'm going to say yes, man, I'm going to say yes to this. And I'm like, hey, Robert, I said, hey man, this guy's calling me, you know Jason. Oh yeah, I know Jason. Well, he's had a bad day and he, he just needs somebody to talk to. I'm going to put you in this back stand, I'm going to hunt in the front, are you okay with that? Absolutely, man. I understand. I know how it is as a pastor. Interruptions are part of what we do. It's just a part of what we do. Sometimes this is ministry. It's what it looks like. This is what life looks like. Okay. All right. Awesome. So me and me and Jason, we hunt in this one stand. I put Robert in the best stand that I felt could get him the best opportunity while me and Jason, we were going to sit. Literally, when I say he shows up, it's like he shows up ready to hunt. He didn't bring a gun. You know, this is where I already was. I was already headed there. He shows up in his Texas Ranger t-shirt, pair of shorts, and some, I think he's wearing Crocs or a pair of Nikes, either way. But he's not, it's like a blue shirt, some khaki shorts, and some shoes. He's not hunting. He didn't come to hunt. He didn't come to do anything. But welcome, you know, it's like November. Feel it outside, hot as all get out. You can totally wear shorts in this weather, that kind of stuff in Texas. And so he, he gets in the stand, and we're sitting there talking and talking, and, and I'm listening, you know, at his day. And I'm just letting him vent. I'm just letting him talk. And, and uh, you know, little every once in a while we'll text back and forth to Robert, and about four ten rolls around, and this really good ten point comes running down the fence line. And I said, "I tell you what, Jason, if he jumps the fence, you just shoot him down right there." And he's like, "Are you sure?" And I'm like, "Absolutely, Jason. That ought to make your day better." I mean, you know what? You come here, you didn't expect any of this. Let's see if we can't make your day better, you know? And he's like, oh, that'd be awesome. Well, it comes down. It's chasing this doe. It jumps the fence like 50 yards in front of us, and he looks like he's going to jump. He walks right up to it and stops and then just turns around and walks back up the fence line. And he's like, oh, I was like, oh. So I text Robert, and I said, he's walking back towards you. If he jumps that fence and you see him, you bust him, all right? You bust him. And he's like, oh, awesome, awesome. And we're waiting there a little longer, and I bet it's like 15 minutes and the biggest deer ever walks out. And it walks right out from the one side of the, where we can't shoot across the fence. And it walks straight up to the fence. And the whole time I go, Jason, that's one of the biggest deer I've ever seen out here. And I'm not going to lie, there's a piece of me going, and it's mine. <laughs> right? But I don't. Right? I hadn't killed a deer. It's, again, I hadn't killed one yet. So it's literally the next, it's right after the weekend. It's like Monday and Tuesday after opening weekend. And, and I go, if it jumps the fence, you're going to bust it. He's like, are you sure? I go, Jason, you've you got to nail it, though. You can't be no, like, miss this one. Like, I'm, I'm saying as soon as it hoof touches our side of the dirt, it could just be one hoof. You can shoot it. 
All right? I mean, like, and, I, and the whole time I can't stop talking about how big it is. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's so big. That, that thing is giant. That is one of the biggest eight points I have ever seen. Oh, my. He goes, at one point he goes, Jim, you got to shut up. You have to shut up, Jim. You're making me nervous. I can't. He goes, I can't. And he begins to start looking down. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I can't look at it. I'm getting too nervous. You're talking too much, and I'm getting too nervous. And, and literally the deer jumps the fence. He shoots it within a couple of seconds. Uh, because I pressured into it, and within like 40 minutes later, Robert hammers down that 10-point. It ends up coming down in the back, and, and talk about a day, right, where God does something miraculous. That deer was giant. It was a giant 8-point, and uh, uh, really old deer, and today it's his biggest deer he's ever killed. And, and all of that started through an interruption. Can I tell you, he still tells the story. He's got the deer mounted on his wall. That started from an interruption. It was totally inconvenient, right? But the whole thing was this awesome memory now that happened between mentor and mentoree because I took time and I stopped to go, hey, let me listen to you, right? Because let me tell you, the deer was the bonus. The really awesome thing I could have done for him is just for the few seconds of my life, give that to him. Give him a couple hours of my time. Let him say all the things he needed to say so he could move on. Can I tell you, one of the challenges we have uh, 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 having a form of a church service in here in a restaurant is the fact that people often assume just because there's cars out front uh, and people inside, they think tea time is open. We just had somebody sneak their head in. I don't even know if any of y'all saw that, right? They snuck their head in just to see if we're open and we're serving food, right? This causes us from time to time to be interrupted by folks who are just looking to get some good food. Nothing wrong with that, but this is what part of what we do, right? It's an easy mistake, and it's one that we've just kind of come to, to deal with, but it's an interruption nonetheless. How many times have you been here where they came in from behind me? How awkward is that one, right? I feel bad for the people coming in. <laughs> Always. I'm like, ooh. I just can't imagine walking into a church. Can you imagine going to like a full-out church like Big First Baptist, and you just show up behind the stage and just walk out like while Ross is preaching or something like that and be like, oh, my bad. <laughs> Try to back out of that thing with all those people looking at you. I just think it's weird, right? But here's the thing is out here, we just kind of learn to roll with it. We don't let it hinder or distract us from where, uh, uh, what we're here for. And, and uh, one of the reasons why is that if you're going to do ministry and if you're going to walk with Jesus, then you have to learn how to deal with interruptions in your life. You've got to, all right? It happened a lot in the gospel, and today that's what we're going to talk about. So if you'll turn to Mark right now, chapter 5. Let's pick up where we left off. Jesus just sailed all the way across the lake to save one individual being tormented by demons. And now he's sailing all the way back. And as he gets to the shore, it doesn't take long for the crowd to gather again and new opportunities to arise. This is the ministry of Jesus. All right. So verse 21, just the first couple of verses here. Jesus got into the boat again and he went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying. He said, please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. Now we'll stop right there. So no sooner is Jesus back, and there's already this crowd uh, listening to his every word. However, Jesus is um, interrupted by a man named Jairus, right? I mean, he's already teaching, hey, I need you to come with me. I, I, can you imagine that? Can you imagine somebody coming in here and, and just all of a sudden saying, guys, I need your church service to stop, and I need Pastor Jim right now, like my kids are dying. And I just go, you know what? 
I'm flipping the mic off, and I'm just going. Guys, you're going to have to figure this thing out. That, that's kind of what it would be like, right? Uh, but, you know, this guy's desperate. Jairus is desperate. He falls to the feet of Jesus. He's begging. He's pleading for Jesus to come and heal his daughter. It's not hard to notice that the word fervently uh, is used here and not see the correlation between this act and what James proclaims in his epistle. James 5.16 says this, The effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. Right? So it's the same kind of concept here. He, he's praying fervently before the feet of the Lord. If, if there's ever a physical look as to what James is saying, it's in this moment. If James is saying that the way to get God's attention and the way to grab God's answer is to fervently pray before him, then if you look at Jairus, how he falls down before his feet and he begs and he pleads, and the Bible uses the word fervently, you're trying to connect the two. This is what it looks like. I can't think of a better motivator for you praying than your child dying either. As a parent, I can tell you that if something is wrong with your child, you desire to do whatever it takes to make it better. Love presses this out of us. It, can, it just is what it is. So who could blame Jairus, right? Here's the father pleading on his knees for the life of his daughter. For him, in this moment, Jesus is his only hope. And she's not a little sick either. I mean, we literally find out that she's on her deathbed. This is not like, ah, she's got the flu. Come take her 102 fever and just knock it down a little bit. She could literally die any minute. And I'm not being overdramatically here. All right. Trust me when I say that she doesn't have a few years or a few months to live. No, I'm talking she has minutes. Every second counts now. So let's pick up the story again. Verse 25 it says a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She would suffered a great deal with many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus. And so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe and for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized that once that healing power had gone out uh, from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. And while he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use in troubling the teacher now. So Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house, but he's interrupted. And i got to be honest, it's not convenient either. This is a life on the line. Still, it isn't like Jesus to just, uh, isn't it just like Jesus to stop and begin to deal with this person? I mean, he's physically walking to Jairus' house. Interruptions always happen to him. He's doing what he said he would do. He said he would go to Jairus' house. He's going there. Yet something happens along the way with this woman who's been suffering with a blood disease. She thinks, man, if I can just touch him, I'll be healed. And we're given a backstory on this woman. We can see that she's suffered for around 12 years. The text tells us that she's tried the doctors and that she spent hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on medical advice. And it's all been worthless. So it's not like she doesn't have her own sad story. We're going from one sad story to another, right? 
And by the way, let me get this straight. Plan A was to completely try to do this all by herself. By seeking doctors and medicine and spending thousands of dollars. She had exhausted herself at what she could do. Plan B was, let's see if touching Jesus will get it done. Welcome to being human, right? I think this is all of us. I don't think we have no room to judge. I think this is, all, this is what we do all the time. Even the greatest amongst us in the church. We will do everything we can first, right? And then when it's all said and done, well, you can always pray. I always hear that, that way they say it. They'll always be like, well, you can always pray. Like that's always like the backup plan. Plan A is pray. Plan B is try to do everything else you can. Plan A is always pray, right? Prayer moves the hand of God. Prayer moves Jesus to do things. You want him to come to your house and heal your daughter? Plead and beg before the Lord fervently. That's what Jairus does, right? And when all else fails, right? Be, have the heart, right? Have the heart to desperately want to go after Jesus like she does, right? That's, what answer, that's what, where God answers. You want to see where God answers in your life? Beg and plead before the Lord. And if your pride keeps you from doing that, guess what you're struggling with? I'm going to tell you, you haven't loved something hard enough until you're ready to beg and plead for it. I tell you, I will beg and plead for my children. No problem whatsoever. I think there's nothing more heroic than begging and pleading for my kids, especially before the Lord. Especially. So her plan worked. And what's amazing to so many scholars is that Jesus instantly knew that a healing power had gone out of him. He didn't even know where. That's crazy, right? Just that it had. While Jesus in the flesh had many supernatural giftings, he's still a human in every way. Jesus says, uh, 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 just as the disciples couldn't tell who had touched him, uh, neither could he. But you have to love his curiosity. He has to know who's been healed. Who's been healed? She looks at him, right? And it doesn't say that she ever said it was her, but he knew. Right? He just, she just jumps in front of him and starts like praying and begging and pleading right there in front when she realizes, right? He looks at her. His response was sent scholars into a panic today. Theologians are still wondering. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. There's a lot of theology built around that one saying. A lot. And it, a lot of it's confusing. Why did he say this? Scholars, especially the charismatics ones, they love this text. They love it. They look at this text as one who, where faith creates the miracle. By you exercising faith, by you moving in faith the miracle is going to happen so much so like did you notice like jesus did it's not like he like let me lay my hand on her that he just walked by and because of her faith and her touching out and reaching out it happens right her faith in jesus to heal made her whole without jesus ever recognizing or realizing who had even touched him she put it it's you could almost say it like this and this is what they would like to probably be said is that if you by exercising her faith, she put into motion her miracle. That's what they would say. She put into motion her healing. They, they would say it's the same way a natural law works. Like God created this thing called faith, and here's how faith works. And if I turn faith on, right, then miracles will somehow come. And here's the thing. is My, my thing is I have faith in Jesus about a lot of things, but there's a lot of things where I've seen Jesus say no to. No. When Paul asks, uh, um, this is where I get struggled with like health, wealth, and prosperity gospels because there's some that's like, man, you just got to believe, and if you believe, it's going to happen. 
What, what about when God just says no? How about when Paul says, I need a healing in my own life. I've got some issues going on with mine, and God said no to me. God said, my grace is sufficient for you to walk in this problem. I've given you all the strength you need. You are not to walk around this problem or to be delivered from this problem. Paul, I've equipped you to walk through this problem. Nobody wants to hear that part of the gospel, so we kind of don't talk about that part. We like this part. We like the part where if we exercise our faith and we beg and plead, then stuff will happen. We can have the genie in the bottle, so to speak. A lot of misconceptions about how faith works. I'm not sure I get it all either. What I can tell you is that God sometimes says yes, God sometimes says no. I promise you this, if you never ask, you'll never know. Or even better yet, should we not exercise our faith? What if God says no? What does it matter then if God can say yes or no? What's it matter if I exercise my faith? Well, it's the same thing. I, I love that somebody says, well, do we keep laying hands on people? Do we keep praying for people and believing they're going to be healed? Absolutely. You still go to the hospital, right, when you're hurt. Can I tell you, you know where most people die? The hospital. But you still go. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> it's amazing to me that that's the, the irony or the contrast of what a hospital is, Right? But this is how the same way the law of gravity does and what it does, faith does what it does. It produces. It, I promise you this, if you walk in faith, you're, you shouldn't be surprised by miracles. Faith stands on it. If you sow faith, you reap miracles. Miracles are a fruit of faith. You will never find a miracle without faith. What a, I mean, it's a happy and fascinating story. But we're really not done with it, right? I mean, I wish that we would just stop right there, but it doesn't, right? We've only been interrupted on the way to Jairus' house. It started out with the crowd. Jesus is teaching. He's completely interrupted. He, he, he turns from that interruption. He goes, okay, I'll go with you. Oh, I'm interrupted again. Let me deal with this. Uh, we, we got minutes, Jesus. Like, you like for real need to get to somebody's house. Let's deal with this thing one at a time. Right? And this interruption, let's, let's be honest, this one is it's kind of both good news and bad news, right? The woman who touched the robe of Jesus was healed, and inconsequentially, in, Jairus' daughter dies. It's over, or is it? Man, this is Jesus after all, right? What's the point about learning about faith if we aren't to exercise it? Mark 5, let's look at the rest of this, 36 through 43. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. And he went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, she's sleeping. The crowd laughed at him. But he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kol, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was, who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. <clears throat> One of the things is that if you don't like really stop to take a look at this, it's easy just to go so focused on, well, it was a good, good story at the end. It's all the things that take place along the way. For instance, he, he says, don't be afraid. Are you joking? I mean, really? Don't be a. His daughter's dead. And I'm not sure this is a fear issue. It's more like a grieving issue. Jesus enters the house, and no one's in fear. They're already weeping and wailing. They've accepted the faith. 
Jesus, however, is calm. He looks at the girl, says she's only sleeping, right? They think he's foolish. You can tell that by all the laughing. So he dismisses the room. Now, to me, this is hard, isn't it? Where, where reality meets faith. This is like the holy collision between the physical aspects of this world and the supernatural faith of something beyond this world. One thing is for sure, both uh, for Jesus and you, it's easier to move, to act, and function in faith without doubters around. Let's just be honest. It's hard to walk in faith if nobody else believes around you. One of the reasons we meet as a church or as a church body it's not because somehow coming to church or attending to church makes you safe. We meet to build each other up and remind each other of the goodness and the promises and the faith of God. That's why we need each other. We need each other so we can hear an encouraging word. Keep plugging in. Like So when you're going through a hard time, keep praying. Stay the course. Remember that he loves you. Remember that he has a future for you. Remember the words of the Lord in this. Remember. <clears throat> right we we don't need doubters in the room and i and, and now listen by the way when i say we don't need doubters i don't mean like out of your life but there are some times in life where we don't need to call that one friend that's like well that sucks man i'm really having this hard time man your life sucks we don't, i don't think we need that and by the way everybody knows somebody like that right i mean i've heard them have all kinds of names for people like negative nelly and all this other stuff you have debbie downer we have all those type of people, right? I'm not saying we should like kick them out of our life, but we do need that one friend that's like, hey, I'm praying, I'm believing for your miracle because my God is greater than any sickness, greater than any disease, and greater than any circumstances, right? When you're having your problem, you don't call that person who's always going to be like down and out like, well, then maybe we should just go get lit up, tore up, drunk, and just have a good night and forget everything. And then, well, uh, but tomorrow your problems are all right back at you. Or you can believe that God is going to do something unbelievable, Jesus leaves <clears throat> on, he leans on his disciples and the girl's father in the room. That's only who's allowed without breaking a sweat. Jesus just tells her to wake up. She sits up. She's alive. It's a good story, right? The woman with the blood issue, she's healed. And Jairus' daughter's brought back from the dead. But that isn't the main focus of what we want to talk about today. We just begin dealing with the fact that Jesus is interrupted quite a bit. By the way, go look out throughout the rest of the Gospels. It's all the time. Jesus is always being tugged at all the time, right? He's, he just gets off the boat. The crowd surrounds him. He's interrupted, right? He's interrupted by Jairus, who's a pressing matter. He's interrupted by a woman who also has a pressing matter. As a matter of fact, again, the more you look over the gospel, you'll see for yourself it happens. All, it, so much so that if you read into the book of Acts with the apostles, it happens all the time. It said while Philip was winning over all of these masses, and he was doing so good, God transported him all the way out to this desert road. I don't know how that works. I'm just saying it happens. All right, all the way out to the desert road where he's supposed to witness to one guy. By the way, that sounds crazy, right? Like if you're doing so successful and you're totally like just winning people over left and right, why would God call you all the way away to win one man in Ethiopia? By the way, that one man would go back and take Christianity back to Ethiopia. It would change the face of the country. And today we have Ethiopian Christians because of it, because of that one moment. All right. God interrupted Philip's life, said, hey, I know you're having successful ministry, but I need you here, Philip. Jesus, it's like one guy. I know, but this one guy is going to take it back to Ethiopia and change Ethiopia. Right? 
I mean, if you keep look, look at Paul. Ananias and Paul. Hey, Ananias, I need you to make a meal for Paul. Dude, isn't he the Christian killer? Wait a minute. I, God, it's not good to have murderers at your house. Like, it's just not smart. I don't know, God, if you've read Solomon's words, but pretty good not to probably hang around murders is in there. And God, you're telling me to invite this murderer into my home? Like, God, we're having a pretty good life. We've been living the normal Christian life, God. You, man, me and you talk. We got this connection, God. And now you want me to stop everything I'm doing and feed this man and somehow pray for this guy that's just been killing off people left and right? Yes, I need it, Ananias. Okay, okay. God interrupts constantly throughout the, the whole Bible. And here's the thing is, man, as Jesus faced them, as the apostles faced them and everything, interruptions are just part of life. Amen? We're quiet in the house today. Amen? Still, there's a couple lessons, and we'll just go with here, and then we'll bring worship back up. There are a couple lessons we could learn from uh, uh, Jesus here. Number one is this, man. Just two things I'm going to talk about, and then we'll we'll go back into some worship here. Keeping it real simple this morning, because I think this is an easy message, and I think this deals with stuff that we deal with all the time. Uh, Jesus... Never loses his temper. Never. To me, this has been the hardest thing to encounter. Not every ministry moment is convenient. As a matter of fact, most moments are not. Most of the time, I'm sitting at my house or whatever. For me, it looks like this. I'm sitting at my house. Uh, I finally have like, got this opportunity where I've got this span of three hours to hang out with my wife and kids, and it never fails. Somebody will call me, and I'll have to be on the phone for the next hour. And you know, the greatest thing, this is where I end up loving my wife. I mean, I love my wife. I love my kids for being patient with me in this. They understand that ministry, it's not that ministry comes before my family, but that what we do is serve people. And part of serving people is giving them a little bit of our time. But it also means that I have to have some things where I guard my time. And I have to know the balance of when. It's not, not every ministry moment is convenient. As a matter of fact, most are not. You never really know. What's going to ever happen? And you never know if you're getting that phone call or if you're going to have to drop everything and just go help. It's not convenient. Not at all. I had uh, uh, this, this past year, I had somebody call me and say, man, I got some friends that, uh, that need some help and they're homeless right now. They need to be put up. But, you know, there's not a lot of places around here that really put up for people. I'll tell you what I can do. I can go get them something for a week up here at the motel up here. And we'll hold on to them for a week. But that requires me leaving my home right now where I'm, I'm laid down. It's 8, 30, 9 o'clock at night. I've got to go get dressed, get back up, go get everything, go take them up there. And I've got, go, got to go handle all that at 9 o'clock at night. That's not convenient. But that's ministry. That's the stuff people remember. You know, when I listen to I, I, many of you, if you, you, some of you will know who Max Copeland is around here. You know, one of the things I, I've got to meet him a couple of times but the one thing that his re- where his reputation precedes him is through other people. And you know the one thing that, that, that I hear about Max Copeland more than anything else? I have not heard a single word about how great that man could preach. Can I tell you that? Not a single word. Nobody talks about how Max Copeland could preach. Nobody talks about how, what kind of awesome outreach they did while he was pastoring. Nobody talks about the size of their church while he pastored. Nobody. I have no idea of any of those things, the size of his ministry, the scope of his things. Now, the scope of his influence, that's different because that comes from all kinds of people. And you know what the stories that they tell about him? It always revolve around, man, when he was at my house, I remember he would come over and sip tea with us and just talk and just hang out. 
for like an hour or two and then be gone, you know? And I would hear that from so many people that I've become to think that Max Copeland, his big ministry or his main ministry was sheerly giving his time to other individuals and just being an ear to lean on. I don't hear about him like conquering any mountains for anybody else, but what I do hear is that he was a sympathetic listener. And he had a way of listening to you that you knew you were heard and you knew you were prayed for. That's powerful. They got a red chair over there at Mustang Stadium, if you didn't know. All dedicated to a guy who, for all I know, was the best listener in town. And I'm going to tell you, listening goes a long ways, guys. Listening goes a long ways. A lot of people, they don't need counseling. What they need is just somebody to care. That's all they need. You know, let us take a lesson from old Max. I tell you, there's a lot of guys I look up to. One of the other ones was uh, Kenneth Womack around here for 33 years. Now, I did get to, I have got to sit underneath Kenneth Womack. I have got to, to be underneath. While there's a lot of things where I go, oh, I'm not sure exactly what he did either. But the one thing that I did, always did like is, and I tell you where I realized real quick about tenure and longevity was through Kenneth Womack and about the power of being someplace for a long time. One of the things that I saw him do is I had attended a funeral. I didn't even know the guy. But I attended it because I knew some of the family. But he did know the guy. And the interesting thing about Kenneth Womack is he sat at that church for 33 years, and this guy not ever, the guy he's doing the funeral for that he knew, never once attended the church. But he began to tell stories about fishing with this guy and hunting with this guy, all kinds of stories to a guy that never once had graced his church, ever. And I thought, man, the power of pastoring a community. That it, this is when you see how ministry extends beyond the walls. Your friendships and the time you give to individuals, right? When they're at their hardest moments or their worst moments or sometimes the most Jesus thing you can do is be there for somebody when they're hurting. Be there for somebody in the good times, right? At a birthday. Be there for somebody when it's an anniversary, right? I'm getting ready to celebrate my, ne my next one with my wife. I've had a few people be texting me along the way. It's, it's our 21st next, next week. So proud of that. It's an awesome moment for our life. Right? We'll celebrate that. That'll be a day I guard. I'll probably won't answer my phone, guys. Just saying. Be honest. Prepare your heart now. Not answering my phone on that Thursday. Gonna, I'm going to go out on a date with my wife. It's going to be a great night. Right? There are times that I guard, but times are okay. But the biggest thing I can give anybody is my time, guys. Right? Jesus never lost his temper. It's not about convenient, right? It's about this, what I call divine encounters. God is trying to orchestrate for you divine encounters. That's why I never turn down a counseling issue. Anytime I have a chance or an opportunity to go mentor young pastors, the Hill Country Youth Pastors Alliance, I still hang out with those guys. Why? Because we have fought the same ground. I continue to pour out, whether you realize it or not, we actually pour into them leadership attributes. We get books for them here at this church. We, we help them uh, uh, you know, move down the road in being educated and being smart about how they lead their kids and their students and influence them in any way we can. Why? Because they're leading the next generation. Any time we can give them is helping a bigger group. So these are big things for us, man, divine encounters. The second thing is, is Jesus uses each occasion as an opportunity. And that's where our vision comes in. You really got to start looking at the op when, when somebody calls you on a bad day as an opportunity. I, so many people have talked to me. So many people uh, will call me for different things. Uh, but you should be looking every time somebody talks to you, everybody somebody calls you, it's an opportunity. Allow your faith to be stretched here. My brother-in-law, uh, uh, Jeff, has had numerous accounts on the road as a UPS truck driver to witness to all sorts of people. 
And he literally views his job and his life that way. I can't tell you how many stories I've listened to him like, man, I was on the side of the road up here in like Rhode Island and I saw somebody get hit and they were literally dying in their car. And I went and I just, I just pulled my truck over on the side of the road and I began to just go minister to him. I'm like, it's crazy. He's just crazy. Or like when he was really doing this Adopt-A-Block program where he was getting all this food for families and running this huge pantry type thing, he used every connection that he made with every place he stopped. So like all of a sudden, I noticed they started getting like, Jeff, where are you getting all this like Holiday Inn uh, shampoos and little bars of soaps and <laughs> these little towels that I'll say Holiday Inn on them? <laughs> I mean, he was getting boxes of them. He goes... Man, I, I drop, I, well, UPS drops, a, you know, we, we do a drop there for Holiday Inn, and they disperse all that stuff, and he goes, man, I witness to those guys all the time, so I got to talking, I've built a relationship with those guys over the last couple of years, and I got them donating all kinds of stuff, and the next thing I know, it's like Target was giving stuff, like, how do you know anybody at Target? Well, I did this delivery over at Target, and I started telling him about Jesus, and <laughs> every, every person that guy talks to is going to know that he loves Jesus. He just makes it, like, you just... You will know if, if by talking to him that he loves Jesus. He's going to make sure of it because every person he meets, he literally views as a divine encounter. God sent you to me. And he's so sure of it that you'll believe it. That's, that's how you need to be. You, you need to literally believe. Like, you know why we're talking? Because God meant for you to be here. Because you're supposed to be here. Like, if you're hearing this message, you know one of the things that I can stand confident of? I know that you were supposed to hear this this morning. That's a God thing. That has nothing to do with me. That's a God thing. You didn't have to be here this morning. You know that I don't yell at anybody for not showing up at church. I don't care about that stuff. What I care about is you. How are you doing? How is your heart? How are you walking through life? Are you doing okay? What I do know is this. We tend to walk through life better with others. Anytime we isolate ourselves, we're usually not doing well. That's why it's important we stay in church, whether it's here or somewhere else. Find you a body or a group of people that will build you up in the Lord, no matter what. There's sound theology in that kind of thing. Every person that's placed in front of you is a God-given opportunity. Let's get worship. This is a big thing for me because this is how I live my life. One of the things that I've done here lately, and I, and I really want to share, maybe it's been the key thing for me here lately, especially... Especially, I've been talking a lot with Joy about it. She, she was like, you know, I, I've like, I tell people at my work, and that's where I see people. And I'm like, you got to change your circles. One of the things that I've intentionally done over the last two years, and she'll tell you because she just wants to pull her hair out, like hanging out with people on the school board. I don't know anybody on the school board. I mean, I know some people. But I will go to like a dinner or something, or I'll go to the Rotary Club meeting. I'll get invited by somebody who's like, hey, you want to come to the Rotary Club? Okay. Thank you. I don't know anybody there, and there's, and there's a whole generation there that's not my age. And I will go there, and I will shake every hand and get to know every person and try to know them by their names and try to memorize their face. Why? Because that's an opportunity or a divine encounter to, to influence somebody, to, to share with somebody the gospel of Jesus Christ, to, to, in, to grow my level of influence or credibility amongst them. It's not so that I can do this or I can do that half as much as so that I can know them and share the gospel with them. Right, And if it's not them, like uh, we had dinner a while back with one of the city council members, right? Why? Because changing my circles constantly. And one of the things I noticed when I came from uh, pastoring full-time and into here where I work a job and I, and I, and I have church as well, uh, one of the greatest things happened to me is, is having a job. If I hadn't had the job that I have, I wouldn't be able to know some of the people I know in here today. Praise God. 
God opened my, allowed me to go back to work. God allowed me back into where I can, I can, I can meet people and new people. And, you know, because my heart is this, man. No, make no mistake. Know this, that anything that's going to come out of here, my heart is to love people and for people to know Jesus. Why? Because what Jesus has done in my life, I want him to do in your life. That's how I feel about it. And, and interruptions are going to be a part of it. But interruptions are divine opportunities for us to exercise our faith and not only allow us to grow, but others to grow as well. Amen.